Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, WCC. It's wonderful to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 19. And uh, we're going to go quickly over a parable we looked at last week, the parable of the ten minas. Before we begin looking at the passage, though, I do want to just say a couple of introductory remarks, especially for our visitors. If you've started visiting in the past, in the last month or so, uh, let me just kind of explain how our church works. Uh, there's nobody here who draws a salary. All of us are uh, work full-time jobs at other places, so there are a few of us that get little housing allowances. But so part of the burden is of of, uh, of leading a church when we have other full-time jobs. Part of the way we structure our church is I will typically preach for about four or five Sundays, and then I'll take a break for a while. So I end up preaching about probably fifty or sixty percent of the time. But I love that. Not only does it give me rest, it allows me also to be fed God's Word and to, to just sit under other preaching. So I love it. So anyway, if you see over the next month or so that I'm not up here preaching, don't think anything's wrong because it's just the way we do things and I actually love it. All right, last week we looked at the parable of the ten minas and we're going to look at just a couple of verses from that from Luke 19. And what we talked about in that parable is, is that Jesus teaches us when he returns He's going to give rewards to his people, eternal rewards, heavenly rewards, whatever you want to call them, to his people in proportion to their faithfulness, in proportion to their devotion to him. So if you got Luke 19 there, we'll just, like I said, we'll look at just a few verses from this passage. If you look down at verse 12, this is Luke 19, verse 12, Jesus said to them in this parable, he said, therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is he's talking about himself. He goes to heaven, he leaves, he goes to heaven to establish his kingdom. And that's where he is now. He is ruling from on high. He's ruling from heaven. And then he said, before he leaves in the parable, it said, verse 13, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. Minas are little uh, pieces of money. He gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So he gave each one of the servant a mina. And if you go down to verse 15, it says, when he returned. So this is talking about Jesus. When he returns, it said, when he returned, having received the kingdom, <clears throat> excuse me, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Verse 16 says, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. So while the king was away, the servant had engaged in business on behalf of the master. So this is what we are to do as followers of Christ. We're to be faithful to him. And then in the, in the parable, after this one, after the one had taken 10 mina and it had made 10 minas more, verse 17, the king said, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And then he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Okay? So, what, again, what Jesus is teaching in this parable, and there are many other places, we're going to look at a number of passages, 
is that his people, we are to be faithful to him while he's gone. And when he returns, he's going to give rewards to his people in proportion to their faithfulness. You see that in the passage, it's faithfulness. And one is given authority over 10 cities and one is given authority over five cities. So this morning, I've just for the past two weeks, I have been thinking about this idea of eternal rewards just in a huge way. It's just had a big impact on me. So I want us to continue thinking about this idea this morning. And, and one of the things I want to stress is that, and we'll look at this, that the scriptures teach about this a lot. It is just everywhere. Another is that the church have, have, has believed this and has taught this consistently now for thousands of years. So Christians in the past thought a lot about heaven, thought a lot about eternal rewards, heavenly rewards. This was a major focus of their lives, fixing their eyes on heaven, fixing their eyes on Christ, fixing their eyes on the new earth to come. So let me give you just a couple of examples. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession of Faith. They both say this, that all persons that have lived upon the earth shall appear before Christ, it says before the tribunal of Christ, to the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. This is another passage from the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Again, we're seeing what the church has taught. It says that God's people will go into everlasting life. So this is not a question of salvation. I'll talk about that in a second. They'll go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards. So this is what the church for centuries has been teaching about heavenly rewards being given based on in proportion to our faithfulness. But what I've noticed is this, recently over the past probably 50 years, you just don't hear much about eternal rewards in churches. Um, now let me stress something, let me go back to that, but I want to stress something. We're not saved by works at all. I want to stress that. We're not saved by works. Our works contribute exactly zero to our salvation. The only way that we are saved is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's Christ alone. And that's the only way we're saved, because what Jesus has done, his perfect life, his righteousness, his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection, all this is how we are saved, not because of our works. Because even our our best works are tainted by sin. We're motivated by sin in this life. So our works don't contribute to our salvation at all. But what the church has understood, and this is what the Bible teaches, is that eternal rewards are real. And in the resurrection life to come, and I love the song that we sang, Chris, just then. In the resurrection life to come, we're thinking about when Jesus returns, we will be given, one of the things I like to stress is we will be given physical resurrected bodies. We're not going to be spirits floating around. We're going to give physical resurrected bodies. And we will live on a physical new earth. It'll be this earth, but it'll be made new. Physical earth, and it'll be more beautiful than we can imagine. And also, even better, there'll be no sin, there'll be no death, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no sadness. In this physical new earth with these resurrected bodies, it will all be joy and love and perfect relationships with other people. And best of all, we'll get to see the Lord face to face. That's what's going to happen on the new earth. But when Jesus, immediately before that, when Jesus returns, he is going to reward his people with treasures, 
The Bible has many words for this. With crowns, with rewards, authority, responsibility. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But these rewards will be given in proportion to our faithfulness. We saw that in the parable of the ten miles. In proportion to our devotion, our sacrifice for the Lord. And again, the church has taught this for centuries But the weird thing is, honestly, until last week, I don't think I've been in a church service. I've been trying to think, and maybe I have, but I don't think I've been in a church service where heavenly rewards were discussed. And honestly, and I don't don't want to cast blame on anybody, but I thought about it. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've heard it taught on my own as I've gone out and studied it. But I kind of feel cheated about this because what I've learned is this is a huge thing in Scripture. And it's a huge motivation for us. And so I kind of feel cheated about not having been taught about eternal rewards. Um, So I'm trying to be faithful in teaching this because I think that they're incredibly important. And I've thought about this too. I think maybe one of the reasons the church today is so weak and ineffective, at least one reason may be, that we set our minds on the things of this earth so much. We rarely set our minds on things above. We rarely set our minds on heavenly rewards. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the church is so ineffective. So what I want to do, I want to give you some scriptures. I'm I'm going to be all over the place. I'm only going to ask you to turn to just a couple. But I do want to give you a sample of the passages in scripture that talk about eternal rewards. So you can begin to see how prevalent these are in the Bible. So this is is Matthew. You don't have to turn there, but this is Matthew 16, 27. This is Jesus talking. And he says this. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. He's going to return. And then, Jesus says, he will repay each person according to what he has done. Paul says something similar in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Now think about what he's saying. Paul is a Christian. He's writing to other Christians. The church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5.10. He says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul's talking to Christians, and he says, all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not judgment about whether we're going to be saved or not. When Christians appear before the judgment seat of Christ, this is not salvation. We're already saved. But all of us will appear before Christ's judgment seat. Now, why? Paul tells us, and it's what what we've been looking at. Paul says, so that each one may receive what is due For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay? Now, I I think this is important. I want to stress this. I think I stressed it last week. The resurrection life to come is a life of absolute joy. It is joy. There is no indication that I can find that that we will experience shame or embarrassment. I think there's a tendency to think about rewards, thinking, oh, I'm going to be shamed. But there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ. That sin is taken care of. So there's nothing I can find that will say that when we appear before Christ, we're going to experience some shame or embarrassment. Or if we do, it'll only be very brief because heaven is not a place of shame or worry. But still, we will appear before Christ's throne to receive our rewards. Turn with me. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Let's look at this together. Very back of the Bible. Last book of the Bible, near the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. We're going to look at a couple of passages back there. And again, I want you just to see see how prevalent this is. Revelation 20, go down to verse 12. 
Revelation 20, beginning verse 12. We'll just read 12 and 13. Revelation 20, 12 and 13. John is writing and he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. There it is again, before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Okay, that's consistent with what we've seen. Look up, flip over a couple pages to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 and look at verse 12. Now think about these. These are some of the last words that Jesus gives his church. It's the last book in the Bible and these are some of the last words that Jesus gives his church. Revelation 22, 12. Jesus is talking and he said, Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Again, rewards, payment, appearing before him. In, in Matthew 6, I've read, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew 6, Jesus talks over and over again about rewards and treasures. I counted at least, just in Matthew 6, at least 10 times where rewards and treasures are talked about. This is just a few This is Matthew 6, verse 3. Jesus says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. I talked about this last week. The Lord notices what we do. The world may not notice, but God notices what we do in faith, and he will reward you. Verse 6, when you you pray, Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's another one, verse 17 of Matthew 6. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others. Again, your motivation should not be to get praise from others. But by your Father who is in secret, and here it is again, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do we think the rewards are only in this life? Again, I think we have a tendency to focus on just this life rather than the life to come. And Jesus is talking about rewards all the time. And then in verse 19 and 20 of Matthew 6, a very famous passage, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves rewards on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But Jesus says this, but lay up for yourselves or store up for yourselves. In other words, this amount can increase. Lay up for yourselves, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That means the rewards, the treasures that, that, that we will receive from God in heaven, we can store up, we can add to. And Jesus says, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So, this is a command from the Lord. He commands us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And I'm not going to go through any more, but there are so many verses that are like this. And that's why the church has understood that eternal rewards are real. The, The church has understood and taught that in the resurrection, God will give rewards in proportion to the amount of faithfulness, devotion and sacrifice while in this life. And this makes sense to me. It makes sense that someone who devotes their life to Christ's kingdom, who seeks to serve the Lord with all they have, who sacrifices for God, who truly wants to live a life devoted to God and lives for Him, it makes sense to me that that person would receive greater eternal rewards 
compared, for example, to a Christian who largely lives for himself and makes almost no sacrifices for Christ. That's, it makes sense to me, and this is what the Scriptures teach. Also, I've become convinced, too, that these eternal rewards, and I want to talk more about this, but they can be a huge motivation for us in this life. They can be a tremendous encouragement for us to live for God while in this life. When you're tempted to go back to that sin that has ensnared you, in that moment you can say, Lord, I'm tempted to do this, but I want to receive an eternal reward from you. I want to gain a greater reward. I want to grow in holiness and love for you, Lord. So this can be a huge motivation for us to turn away from that sin. Or, and I confess I have days like this, sometimes I think, today, Lord, it's all about me. (laughs) It's just all about, I don't want to serve other people. I want to live for me today. But in those moments, we can say, no, I want to store up treasures in heaven, just like Jesus tells me to do. So I'm going to serve a brother or a sister in need. I'm going to send send that encouraging text or pray for that person. Just knowing knowing that these eternal rewards are there can be a huge motivation for us. And I think that's a wonderful thing. This can be a huge thing for us. God has reasons for talking about these things, about about talking about these things that I've just read and many others about these rewards. And the fact is the Lord wants us to set our minds on eternal rewards so that we hunger for the new earth. We hunger for the new Jerusalem. So we hunger for the resurrection life to come. So we get our eyes off ourselves and, and our lives and everything going on around us sometimes And look toward heaven and think more about the life to come, including rewards in heaven. So God doesn't waste his words. He has a reason for everything he says. And and, and what if your attitude is this? What if I say this? Yes, I know Jesus talks about rewards and commands me to store up treasures in heaven. He commands that. But honestly, I just don't like the ideas of rewards. It sounds like works righteousness or it sounds like something else, right? I sort of understand the objection. I do. I think I get it. But if we're, but think about it, if we're saying, yes, Jesus, I know you talk a lot about rewards, but I don't like it, <laughs> for a Christian, we shouldn't do, say that, because basically we're saying, Jesus, you're wrong. So let's don't do that, okay? If you have objections in your mind, this goes for anything that God has said. If you have, you realize you have some objection to what God says, don't just say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna ignore that. Now work through it. Think about, talk with brothers and sisters. Study why God has said these things. I think that's just a huge motivation for for living life as a believer. And so God has has given us this talk so much about eternal rewards and we better listen. So one question I had is why does God talk so much about rewards? I, I think it's this, and I touched on it previously. I think God knows that we need various motivations at various times, to live a life devoted to Him. I think we just need lots of motivations for living lives of obedience and serving other people, living lives of sacrifice for the Lord. God knows we need multiple motivations, and He gives them to us. The Scriptures have tons of motivations about this. For for example, one motivation is simply to live for the glory of God. That may be the most important one. The, the glory of God is, is the, the splendor of God, the awesomeness of God. And, and we want our lives to show how glorious, how majestic, how awesome God is. And the scriptures talk about this. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for 
the glory of God. That's a motivation for us. God's glory should be a huge motivation for us. The Bible also talks about being motivated by God's love, by the love of Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says simply this, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ motivates us. It energizes us. When we think about the love that Christ has for us and what he has done for us in going to the cross, in, in being raised from the dead, his setting his grace and love on us, this should motivate us to live for him, to be obedient to him, to serve and love other people. The Bible talks about frequently about being motivated by thankfulness. Gratitude is a huge motivation for the Christian. So what I'm saying is there are lots of motivations for us. And those are right. It's right. And, and in one moment, and you've probably had this in your own life, in one moment, you may have been, you may have thought, I I'm not going to do this thing. I'm tempted to do this thing, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. And you may have some motivation. I'm not going to do it, and it could be a bad motivation, honestly, but I'm not going to do it because I may get caught. That's not a good motivation. But what if you don't do this terrible thing, and from then on, your life is better because you didn't do this terrible thing? That motivation in that moment worked. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So God gives us these various motivations to live for Him, to live lives of obedience, to spur us on for more faithfulness. And eternal rewards are a wonderful motivation that God gives us for living for Him. Also, if you think that, that uh, eternal rewards are some, sort, some way selfish, I think that attitude reveals more about a lack of understanding about eternal rewards. We tend to think of eternal rewards as more earthly things. I mentioned this last week. I don't think rewards in heaven are going to be driving a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. That's, that's kind of what we think. We think of... We tend to think of rewards from a worldly perspective, like a bigger house or more money, car, amazing vacation, whatever. But there's no indication in the scriptures that eternal rewards are going to be like that. So let me ask you this. Let's, let's think about what the re eternal rewards are. I really want us to, to, to work through this. Is it possible, is it possible that, that the rewards God will give us in heaven... The rewards we can store up, as Jesus tells us. Is it possible that God could give us these rewards, that they're, they're good for us, they motivate us, and they bring honor to the Lord? They glorify God. Is it possible that God could have rewards like that? I think it is. So what could the reward be? It would be good for us, it would motivate us to holiness, and it would bring glory to the Lord. So we're asking, what are these eternal rewards? Well, part of it is this. The Bible makes it clear, as we saw in the parable of the ten minas, part of the eternal rewards are increasing responsibility and authority on the new earth. And I would, I would recommend, if you haven't rec read the book uh, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, I found that book extremely helpful for getting our minds fixed on what the Bible teaches more about the resurrection life to come. And one of those is increasing authority and responsibility. Like I said in the parable of the ten minus. The most faithful servant was given authority over ten cities. The other faithful servant was given authority over five cities. I mentioned last week we tend to think of responsibility as a hassle, as a headache. But in, and allow your mind to go with scripture on this. In the resurrection life to come, everyone will be without sin. We will love each other perfectly. We will love God perfectly. 
All our motivations will be pure. As I say, we'll have physical bodies. We'll be walking around on a physical earth doing work. But everyone will love each other and we'll love God perfectly. So, so having responsibility in this life sounds rough, but one where everyone loves the Lord perfectly, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. Maybe it'll be teaching responsibility. You know, when we get to heaven, it doesn't mean we automatically know everything, right? There's no indication. We're not God as soon as we go to heaven. We're still going to be required to learn. So I assume that God is going to give teachers. Maybe we'll have teaching responsibility. Maybe we'll have responsibility. Think about this. For art projects or design projects or building projects. I don't know. In the new earth, there, 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 there seems to be that there's going to be work to honor the Lord. And we think about things that get us excited. To me, thinking about doing this kind of work and be responsibility, responsible for this would be awesome. So increasing responsibility and authority. But I think it's even more. And I think this is where it really gets beautiful. I think some aspect of... The, the reward will be increasing capacity for joy and increase of capacity for love. And I think that's probably what eternal rewards will be. Uh, and I'll tell you this, I get a lot of this from the Puritans. I want to give a shout out to the Puritans. Uh, they're, sometimes they're tough to read because they just go on and on. They, you know, their attitude is, why say something in five minutes when you can say it in ten hours? So, so the Puritans sometimes are tough to read because they go on and on, but they get a lot of the stuff that I think the, the Bible teaches. So the parable of the minas that we looked at is similar to the parable of the talents in Matthew. I want you to look at it one sentence from Matthew. Turn to Matthew 25. This is the parable of the talents. I know I'm having you flip a lot of pages, but this, is, this has just been so huge to me, and I want you to see it. This is the parable of the talents, and it's very similar to the parable of the minas. So this is Matthew 25. Go down to verse 23. Matthew 25, verse 23. Again, just like the parable of the minas, after they're faithful, his master said to him, this is what Jesus is going to say to his faithful servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. There it is again, increasing responsibility. And then he says this, and I think this is huge. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. In the resurrection life to come, we will be entering into the joy of our master, the joy of Christ. The resurrection life will be a life full of joy. And the reason it will be a a life full of joy is because that's where the Lord is. God will be there in his unveiled splendor, and we will be with him. So joy is a huge part of the life to come. This is Psalm 1611, a very important verse. David is talking to God, Psalm 1611, and David says, God, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. In God's unveiled presence, there is fullness of joy. In the resurrection life to come, there won't be any barrier of sin And we will see the Lord face to face. We'll be in his presence. And I think we're going to have a joy that we can't even imagine right now. There's going to be fullness of joy. So think about that concept. Fullness of joy. And again, Matthew 25, enter into the joy of your master. So fullness of joy. Now, now this is a thought that the Puritans developed that I think is very helpful. Fullness. You can't, when when something is full, you can't add anything more to it. Okay? But... Containers 
can experience different levels of fullness based on the size of the container, right? They're all full, but they have different amounts. So think about this. Let's say, let's say a drop of water represents the happiest day of your life, or the happiest moment of your life, one drop of water, okay? In the life to come, imagine having fullness greater than that. So I've I got some props here this morning. This is a shot glass. Don't ask me why I have a shot glass. This is, this is a shot glass. Imagine if one drop of water is the, is the greatest joy you've ever experienced in the life, and you in the life to come get this fullness of joy, fullness. You can't, when, when it's filled up to the top, you can't add any more to it, okay? But what if the eternal rewards are you get that or you get fullness in this? Both containers are full. They're full. You can't add anything more to it. And even the smallest amount will be an incomprehensible amount of joy. But what if the eternal rewards are an increasing capacity for joy? What about, what about a bathtub full of joy? What if that's the eternal rewards for someone who really sacrificed? What about a swimming pool full of joy? I think that's the motivation that God gives us to think about eternal rewards. So you can't add anything more to it. So, our, so what I'm convinced of is that our good works in this life, our devotion, our faithfulness, our sacrifice to the Lord will lead to increasing happiness in the life to come. And what that means is what you do now counts forever. Your life counts forever. Because, and now, I would ask this, because some believers will have received greater rewards and some lesser in the life to come, does that mean there will be envy or jealousy? If you and I are in the New Jerusalem and we see other people with greater rewards, you know, greater authority or greater capacity for joy, would we be envious? Would we be angry? Would we be discouraged that, that we failed? I don't think so. Jonathan Edwards, another Puritan who lived in the 1700s, he talked about this, and one of the things he said is what we're talking about. He said there are different degrees of happiness and glory in heaven. As I said, this is what the church has taught. He says the glory of the saints above will be in some proportion to their holiness and good works here. And then Edward says this, and he's talking about whether these differing degrees will cause problems. He says this, there will be no envy in heaven, but only perfect love. He says those who are lower in glory will not envy those who are higher he says, here in this world, those that are above others, they're sort of the objects of envy. If people have more money or whatever, we, we tend to envy them. He said, but that's not going to be the way it is in the resurrection life. He says, because those saints, one, who are the happiest, they'll also be the most humble. That's what he says. And he says, those with fewer rewards will have such pure love for others that they will rejoice with those who have more happiness. So that those with, with fewer rewards, when they see that there are others with more rewards, they're not going to be jealous, but their love for them will be so much, and they will see the others' incredible happiness, that just seeing their happiness will make them happy. They will, and they will also see that it's right. They will see that it's fitting. If I, see, if I see someone in the life to come who has been a martyr, who has suffered for Jesus Christ, and I see that they have devoted their lives to Christ in a way that I have not. And I see that they are getting greater authority and greater joy in the life to come. I'm going to be happy about that. I'm going to say that's right. I'm going to say that's fitting. I'm going to say, thank you, God, 
that that martyr, whoever sacrificed for the Lord, that they are experiencing this increasing happiness. And I will, in turn, rejoice with that. That will add to my happiness. That's what Edwards is saying. So Edwards concludes by saying, in heaven we will be partakers of each other's happiness. I said it in an email this week. If you, if, if, imagine your child that you love, seeing them incredibly happy. Just rejoicing in happiness. That's the way that we will fit. When I see my kids incredibly happy, I'm incredibly happy. And that's the way it's going to be in the life to come. It's not going to be that we're going to be jealous or anything. It'll be we will share in each other's joy and we will be in the presence of the Lord face to face. So my encouragement to you is to, to allow, I'm wrapping up now. My encouragement to you is to give serious thought to this idea of eternal rewards. Especially this idea of, of increasing joy, capacity for joy and love. Could this be a motivation for you to live a life more devoted to the Lord. My prayers is this will not be a one and done type thing that you'll that you'll just go away and never think about it again. My prayer is really that this will become part of our lives and it will be a huge motivation for us to live lives of, of loving other people and caring about other people and sacrificing for the Lord and living for Him. If we thought about these things, could this idea of eternal rewards motivate you to be more faithful, more, more faithful in the study of God's Word? More devoted to praying for other people. More devoted to praying for revival. Could it motivate you to invite somebody to church or share the gospel? I, I think it could. I've seen it in my own life just in the past two weeks. I, I think it can motivate us. Greater joy, greater love, not just here and now, but for eternity. As I said, my, my prayers will think about these things from an eternal perspective. So, so do that. Think about eternal rewards, how it can motivate us, how it can increase our love for other people, our love for the Lord, increase our holiness and devotion to Him. And again, it's all for the glory of God, and it's all for eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you. We, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I do just pray, humbly pray, that that uh, we would think more about these things. And in those moments where we are tempted to sin, we would just think, you know, heavenly rewards, eternal rewards, Lord. These are real. Help me in this. Help me think about this increasing capacity for joy in the life to come. God, just help our church, help us to be people who really do fix our minds on heaven, on, on, on you, on the joy that is, is coming and that we would not cling so tightly to this world and we would not seek to, to get all our joy and satisfaction in this world. But we would really think about the new Jerusalem, the resurrection life to come and seeing you best of all and seeing you, Lord Jesus, face to face. Oh, that's going to be awesome. So help us to think like that, Lord. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for the folks here this morning. I do just pray for, for everybody here that, that help you drive this truth deep into our hearts and as a result we would be changed and transformed to love you more and love other people more we pray this in jesus name amen